think we're all in. Good morning. Welcome to, welcome to worship. Welcome to folks who are watching at home this morning. It's uh, great for us to know that uh, there are folks at home and folks here, and we're all sharing the, the, the same opportunity of worship. So welcome to Worship in Creef. This is the third Sunday in Advent. You'll see we have three of our Advent candles lit now. And with the lighting of the third Advent candle, we traditionally think of Mary, the mother of the Lord Jesus. And so as we begin our worship today, let's hear the words spoken by Mary to Elizabeth after she received God's commission given through the angel Gabriel. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour, for he has looked with favour on the lowliness of his servant. Surely, from now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He who shows strength with his arm. He who scattered the proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy according to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. So as we come together with these words of scripture still in our ears, let's come before God in prayer. God and maker of all, to redeem the world, you chose the most unsuspecting of women to mother your son, and by your choice gave new glory to human flesh and to earthly parenting. With the joy that was Mary's, may our souls magnify the Lord and our bodies be the means through which you continue the mighty work of salvation for which Christ came. Amen. Well, today our service of worship is coming live from the St. Andrew's building, and we here in Creef are in the midst of a busy weekend. Yesterday afternoon, our walk through Carol Festival began just across the road in the St. Michael's building, and more folks will be participating in that this afternoon and again next weekend, and also on the 22nd and 24th of December, just before Christmas. If you have not already booked a time slot for that, there are still a few available, so get in quick. And uh, that's on our website, creefparishchurch.org forward slash carols. This evening at six o'clock, we're looking forward to the Christmas Box 2020. That's a special online celebration for Advent featuring folks from local churches 
around Perthshire, including here in Crieff. And we have uh, put together and put out lots of gift boxes over the past couple of days. Lucy, who's here with us, did some of that yesterday and Friday. And so if you have a box, you'll unpack it this evening as you take part in the Christmas Box 2020 online uh, worship event. Uh, there are a few boxes for folks here in the church. If you've not got one and you'd like one, there are a few just at the front door. But even if you've not got a box, you can still participate and join in the event, which is being broadcast at 6 p.m. on the website christmasbox.scot. And of course, our Advent journey continues, and Mary and Joseph, or at least two figurines representing Mary and Joseph, are continuing their Advent journey around the homes of some of the folks in our congregation. So if you're taking part in that, I hope that you're making them most welcome. But let's listen to, and if you are at home, sing our first song of praise. And it's a song that we here in the hall missed out on last Sunday. So we're starting with it again. It's a, a Christian Aid scratch choir singing a Christmas song, When Out of Poverty is Born.
One of the most noticeable, one of the most important features of the Old Testament is its growing expectation of the coming Messiah. And over the past three months here in Creef, we've seen something of that on our journey from creation to Christ. That expectation of the coming Messiah began immediately after the fall. For no sooner had Adam and Eve sinned than God announced his intention to save sinners and to do that through a descendant of the very person by whom sin entered the world. And from then on, God's promise of the Messiah became increasingly rich, increasingly varied. For example, he would be a prophet like Moses. He would be a priest like Melchizedek. He would be a king like David. So today, before we come to the nativity next Sunday, I'd like to consider the main messianic images from the Old Testament, or at least a few of them. Thirteen weeks ago, we began a series of three sermons focusing on creation and the fall, the moment when sin entered the world, bringing the ensuing chaos that has infected humanity ever since. The author C.S. Lewis, in his Narnia Chronicle, speaks of human beings as daughters of Eve and sons of Adam. And the very first image of Messiah we find in Scripture is of a descendant of Eve. The book of Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15 tells us of God's reaction to the devil in the guise of the serpent who first tempted Eve and then Adam. God said, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Now, however confusing we might find this combination of warning and promise, of hostility and victory, there are certain truths that we can affirm. Firstly, God has established a reciprocal enmity between the human race, Eve's offspring, and the principalities and powers of evil, the servant's offspring. Put quite simply, we must never come to terms with evil. And then, secondly, although this continuous feud has been relentless, it will not be eternal. So it's not a case of dualism with two equal and opposing foes going at it for all time. For Scripture tells us it will culminate in a final contest between Christ and Antichrist. And thirdly, the outcome of that contest, well, it's already certain. For the head of the enemy will be crushed. That is destroyed by the man, Christ Jesus. But at the same time, the victor will not escape injury entirely. He will suffer bruising to the heel, as Scripture puts it. And this promise to Eve that one of her descendants would ultimately crush the serpent's head is rightly recognized as the very first proclamation of the gospel 
And at the other end of the long journey from creation to Christ, that promise was fulfilled on the cross. For it was there that the devil was disarmed and overthrown at the cost of the Messiah's suffering. The Apostle Paul, in his letter to the Ephesians, tells us that all things have now been put under his feet. And we are confident, as Paul wrote in his letter to the Romans, that the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Now, it might seem strange that in the context of conflict, the Apostle Paul should refer to the God of peace. For enjoying peace and simultaneously crushing Satan don't sound altogether compatible with each other. But as we've already seen on our journey from creation to Christ, and as we'll go on to see in the New Testament, God's peace allows no appeasement of the devil. In fact, it's only through the destruction of evil that true and lasting peace can be attained. You'll remember that beginning with the stories of creation, we then moved on to the story of Abraham. And another image of Messiah comes to us as the seed of Abraham. In Genesis 12, we hear God speaking to Abraham saying, I will bless you and you will be a blessing. And all people on earth will be blessed through you. Now, Abraham, of course, is a towering figure in the Old Testament, being the first of the three great patriarchs or founding fathers of Yahweh's covenant people. And in addition to his promises to give Abraham a land and a seed, God promised in more general terms to bless him, to make him a blessing, and even through him to bless all the families of the earth. And that, of course, is achieved through Abraham's descendant, the Messiah. It's no exaggeration to claim that the rest of the Old Testament, indeed the rest of human history, has in fact been a fulfillment of these promises given to Abraham. In the New Testament letter to the Galatians, the Apostle Paul makes this very argument. He says the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Scripture does not say and to seeds, meaning many people, but and to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. The Apostle Paul goes on to contrast the words curse and blessing, or more importantly, the curse of the law and the blessing of Abraham. He said, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. As it's written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. 
Jesus, on the cross, bore the curse so that you and I might inherit the blessing. And God's promise to bless the world through Abraham's seed is central to who we are if we are followers of Jesus Christ. For in obedience to his command, we must continue to share the gospel until the countless number of the redeemed are drawn from every nation and every language and become so numerous as the stars in the sky or the grains of sand on the seashore. For only then will God's promise to Abraham be fulfilled. So there we have two images of the Messiah. He is to be a descendant of Eve. He is to be the seed of Abraham, the bruised servant who crushes the head of the serpent. Before we go on to look at some more of these images of Messiah, let's again join our hearts and at home join our voices in the carol, Hark, the Herald Angels Sing.
Isaiah chapter 9. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. On our journey from creation to Christ, we have also seen indications that the Messiah would hold various different roles, the roles of prophet, of priest, and of king. The book of Deuteronomy chapter 18 tells us that the Messiah would be a prophet like Moses, expounding and interpreting the Ten Commandments for the people. Moses told them, the nations you will dispossess listen to those who practice sorcery or divination. But as for you, the Lord your God has not permitted you to do so. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your fellow Israelites, and you must listen to him. Now, although many people today would deny it, one of humankind's most ardent desires is to discover the will of God. But how do we do that? On their journey from captivity in Egypt towards freedom in the promised land, the people of Israel were faced with two, opinion, two options as they encountered the other people who were already in the land before them. On the one hand, they could be like the Canaanites who practiced witchcraft and sorcery and other divination of different kinds. But Moses told them that God forbade his people to copy these practices. On the other hand, they could pay attention to the voice of God as it came to them through the prophets. It was all a question of listening. They were to listen to the voice of God through the people God sent, the prophets. And we spent a few weeks 
looking together at some of the prophets. But then we come to the period of history between the writings of the Old and the New Testament. It was a time when the voice of prophecy fell silent. And in that period, the prophet became a recognizable messianic title. So for instance, in the Gospels, when we read of Jesus feeding the 5,000, the crowds said, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. John 6, 14. And we read in the Acts of the Apostles, in Acts chapter 3, that after he had healed a crippled beggar, the Apostle Peter addressed the onlookers, applying this term, the prophet, to the person of Jesus. And although Jesus was not one more prophet in a long succession of prophets down the centuries, but rather the fulfillment of all prophecy, in whom all God's promises find their yes, as Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, we still hail Jesus as the prophet, who, like Moses, knows God face to face, and in whom God's revelation has reached its culmination. It's very moving that on the Mount of Transfiguration, the voice of God the Father quoted his own command in Deuteronomy 18 and applied that command to Jesus. And his command to all of us is exactly the same. We are to listen to him. At some point during Advent, we read these words of the prophet Isaiah, which we've heard. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. You see, God's original purpose for his people, of course, was not a kingdom, but a theocracy. That is, God would rule over the people himself directly without a human intermediary. So over the past weeks, we have seen that when the people demanded a king to be like the other nations, it was God and not Samuel whom the people of Israel were rejecting. And we saw how Samuel went on to, to, to warn the people of the oppressive regimes that their human kings would introduce. And so it came to pass. And it's not surprising, therefore, that the prophets began to dream of a future ideal kingdom that would exhibit all those characteristics that the kings of Israel and Judah lamentably failed to exhibit. Of all the kings, the best, though flawed example, is found in David. And of God's kingdom, well, Scripture tells us, firstly, God's kingdom would be righteous. The Messiah would be righteous and will rule his people with justice. 
Speaking through the prophet Jeremiah, God said, The days are coming when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. So God's kingdom would be just, and secondly, God's kingdom would be peaceful. David's reign had been marred by endless wars. And it was in deliberate contrast to this that his son and successor was named Solomon, taken from the Hebrew word shalom, meaning peace. Thirdly, and in these rather shaky days of COVID pandemic and Brexit negotiation failures, it's encouraging for us to know that God's kingdom would be stable. The thrones of, of Israel and Judah were most, mostly unstable and comparatively brief. But the promise of the messianic kingdom is that it will last forever. Not only that, but God's kingdom will be universal. It will encompass all people, all of creation. As we read in the Bible, we discover that at its most extensive, Israel's territory stretched only from Dan to Beersheba. But the Messianic kingdom, according to the prophet Zechariah, would extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. And this righteousness and peace, this eternity and universality are the main characteristics of the messianic kingdom that was ushered in by Jesus, yet spoken of hundreds of years earlier through the prophet Isaiah. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So Jesus is both prophet and king. But in what way is Jesus priest? If you turn to the Psalms, and particularly to Psalm 110, according to the writer of the book of Hebrews, that Psalm seems to speak of Jesus saying, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. But Melchizedek is without doubt, one of the most mysterious characters in the whole of Scripture. He's only mentioned in three passages. And in each of these, he's identified as a priest. In Hebrews 7, but Hebrews is speaking of Psalm 110. But then firstly, we see Melchizedek meeting Abraham. Read that in Genesis. As Abraham returns from his campaign to rescue his nephew Lot, who was captured when Sodom and Gomorrah were overtaken by foreign kings. If you were to visit Jerusalem today and stand on the hill overlooking the city, you would see on the walls of Jerusalem one of the gates of that city. <coughs> one of the gates of that city, and it's, it's bricked up. The whole gate is full of stone. 
And in front of that bricked up gate is an Arab cemetery. And this was seemingly done in an attempt to stop the Jewish Messiah entering into the city of Jerusalem. For although a bricked up gate could be reopened, no Levitical priest would sully themselves passing through such a cemetery. But all this was done, of course, forgetting that although Jesus, the Messiah, is clearly identified as a priest, he is not a Levitical priest. He's not descended from Levi. In fact, the priesthood of Jesus is far, far superior to any Levitical priesthood. And several reasons are given in the Bible, but one is emphasized, namely that Jesus is a priest forever. Because the Levitical priests were human beings and therefore mortal, the author of Hebrews writes, death prevented them from continuing in office. And so they had to be continually replaced. That's why we we read in the the New Testament of when so-and-so was priest, when so-and-so was high priest, they had to be replaced. But not with Jesus. And the writer to Hebrews tells us, because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. I'm sure you would agree that it's been great over the past week or so to see people being immunized with the first of these new COVID-19 vaccines. But that treatment will have to be repeated at least once, perhaps again and again over a prolonged period. But the Bible assures us that Jesus' sacrifice will not in any way need to be repeated or prolonged, for it has an eternal efficacy. Again, the writer of Hebrews says, For when Christ had made on the cross his one sacrifice for sins forever, he sat down at the Father's right hand, his atoning work having been accomplished. Our assurance of forgiveness comes from resting and rejoicing in the finished work of Christ on the cross. Much has been said over recent weeks about needing to save Christmas. But in fact, it's Christmas that saves us. For just as the Old Testament narrative culminates in anticipation of the nativity, the birth of Jesus, so that birth of Jesus in Bethlehem leads directly to the finished work of Christ on the cross. For it's at the cross that all the brokenness and sin of humanity exposed in the 39 books of the Old Testament is dealt with decisively, just as God intended, as we move from creation to Christ. So we give God glory as we worship here, quietly in our hearts, and we give God glory, I hope with some joyful singing from those at home 
as we have our next hymn, To God Be the Glory, Great Things He Has Done. this time we find ourselves deeply conscious of the challenges that we still face and yet also of the hope that lies on the horizon. It's as if we have journeyed through a time of darkness and deep uncertainty with seeming, seemingly no end in sight. And then even as darkness seemed set to engulf us once more, a light has dawned and has brought hope to the world and to the community of all peoples. In past weeks, we have prayed, Lord, we pray for scientists and researchers, for those seeking to understand the challenge we face, 
for those creating potential vaccines, for those advising decision makers. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Notwithstanding the challenges we still face, we give thanks to God for those who have created the vaccines that have the potential to restore life to the communities of which we are all a part. And as we continue on our Advent journey, we hear of a witness who has come to testify to the light. The light is not yet with us, but the messenger comes to bear witness to the true light, the true light of God that will soon break into our world. Even now, the light breaks on the horizon, for the light of God is coming into our world once more. And so we pray and join in the response, Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Lord, we are your people who have journeyed in darkness and who long to see your light once more. We are those who have journeyed through hard times and who long to see life and community renewed. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Lord, we give thanks for scientists and researchers, for those who have created the vaccines that give hope to the world, and we pray for the just sharing of these precious gifts and for the renewal of life in every nation. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Lord, we are those who journey on towards the horizon where light shall surely break. We journey in times where we are distanced and trust that in time the distance shall be overcome. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Lord, we continue to pray for those who care for the living and for the dying. We continue to pray for the bereaved and for the bereft. And we ask that you would draw near to them in your compassion. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Lord, we are those who have heard of the true light that is coming into the world. And we ask that we might become your messengers and bear witness to Jesus Christ, the light of God that is to come. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer and hear us as we pray together the words Jesus taught his followers, saying, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom 
and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Well, next Sunday is the fourth Sunday in Advent, and we come to the Nativity story and the birth of the one who is the seed of Eve and Abraham, the one who is prophet, priest, and king, the suffering servant, and the messianic ruler. Before then, remember the Christmas box event tonight at six o'clock on the website www.christmasbox.scot. And if you have a box, then I hope you enjoy unpacking and enjoying all the goodies inside. There are one or two boxes left at the front if folks here need to take a box for that service. Christmasbox.scot at six o'clock. And of course, there are a few time slots still available for the Carol Festival across the road. We had a great day yesterday afternoon and we'll be open again this afternoon and next weekend and then the 22nd. And I think there may be one slot left on Christmas Eve. So if you'd like to participate in that, please book a time at creekparishchurch.org forward slash carols. Just put your name, your email, click a time and then turn up uh, to enjoy that. I think these are enough notices for us today. Uh, so let's, all of us, look forward in hope to the coming of our Savior. Let us all prepare the way for Christ our Lord. Let us welcome him with love and faith when he comes in glory. And the blessing of God, the ever-present Father, the ever-living Son, the ever-active Holy Spirit, descend upon you and remain with you now and always. Amen.